When we drove by this church for the very first time, we knew something special was here. We didn't know what, uh, we'd never attended before. So my wife and I decided to attend that very next Sunday. After that first service, we just knew that this is our new church home. And we uh, signed up, I think the very next Sunday. I don't know many other people are as busy as I am, but there's things that when you serve, that are gonna be unexpected and they're gonna be beautiful, unexpected surprises. Because truthfully, it's as busy as we are, um, these are some of the things that we do in a busy day that make life worth living. You know, there's different types of relationships. There's relationships at work, speaking of people who have busy schedules, where those engagements and relationships are ones that where you engage in a sort of self-protective way. Um, you can't truly be yourself. Here working on the um, parking team here at Revolution, that is not the case. Uh, all the men that I've met on the parking team, their guard is down, they're being real, they're being genuine. At the end of the day, it, it's, it's a way of serving is worship. And you are gonna miss out on just the, the most amazing part of this church is being connected, being part of community and meeting people that you otherwise would never meet. My name is Craig Butler, and I love serving my church. Yeah, that's, that's pretty incredible, and what a great story, not only of just how God is using Craig here in our, in our church, but one of those stories that we want to highlight because it fits very, very well with our message today about living on mission. And we love all of our team members around here. In fact, let's give it up for all of our team members here at Revolution Church, yeah, who are such great examples of what we're going to talk about, like I said, and just uh, an example of people living their life on mission. And that is exactly what we're going to see today in the Bible in John chapter one. So if you have a Bible, open it up to John chapter one. We kicked off this series of messages last week, and we're going to be in it for quite some time, just going through the book of John, the gospel according to John. And there's a lot of reasons why we're doing that. And uh, one of them is because we want you to believe, like John said, we want you to believe who Jesus is and in believing, have life in his name. And so there's anything that the last year has taught us is that who we believe in matters, who we're building our life on matters. And so we want to emulate and build our life on Jesus, the only one who lasts, who John calls the word. And so we're doing this series and just kind of walking through this book of John. And again, we'll be in it for several years. And it's, it's a book that is deep enough for all of you who have believed for years, but it's a, a book that's, that's shallow enough that you won't drown in. And what I mean by that, it's a rather famous quote, is not that the book is shallow, but if you're an unbeliever and you want to know who Jesus is, John is the best book to start in. But if you've been a believer for many, many years, then John is deep enough for you to wade in as well. And so we're going to go, go through this book, and, and I would highly encourage you, and I don't know if I said this at every gathering last week, but to just read through the book many, many times. In fact, I normally tell people read through it 20 times, but since we're in 2021 and John has 21 chapters in it, I thought, man, let's just read through this 21 times, all right? So before we get to the end of this book, which would be next year, probably towards the end of next year, I want to encourage all of you to read it 21 times. Because if there's anything that you need in 2021, it's Jesus, right? 
You need him. You need to understand him. And so reading through this book 21 times will give you the best picture to the point where you can start thinking like John thought. That would be the goal. You to wake up in the morning like, I got John in my head. Yes, that's the goal, all right? Because what's in John's head was Jesus, and he wants you to believe Jesus and have life in Jesus. And so we're going to continue today in John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Only three verses. Doesn't mean the sermon's going to be any shorter, all right? Because we're going to dig into it. But these three verses are so pivotal for us to understand, and I think have a unique practical application to all of us as well. But before we get into that, as always, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together. Then we'll jump into John 1. Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are and for what you're doing. And as always, God, we want to stop at this time before we get into the word and ask you to open our eyes to see the truth about who Jesus is. God, there may be people here today who don't know Jesus, who haven't trusted in Jesus. And so we are relying upon your Holy Spirit to open their eyes so that they can see and believe. But there are also people, God, who have trusted Jesus, who do know Jesus. But at the same time, God, they're still blind to certain things in their life, certain realities that the word today is going to uncover. And so, God, I pray that you would help them to see and believe even deeper as well. And God, I pray as always for me that you would help me to communicate the word in a way that not only honors you, it glorifies you, but it's helpful to us. Because when we get help, God, you get glory. So we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So John chapter 1, again, it's one of the four Gospels, and John is a unique Gospel in that, and I told you this last week, 90% of the content in John is unique. It's not in the other Gospels. It's not a part of what's called the Synoptic Gospels because it is so different. It is so unique. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a lot more similarities than John has. Because John has given you a unique perspective on who Jesus is, and that is why we want to study this gospel. So today we're going to look at verses 6 through 8 in John chapter 1. And if you were here last week, we did the first five verses, and if you weren't, that is online. I would highly encourage you to go listen to it. But in John chapter 1, the first five verses, John introduces us to Jesus, and he gives him this, he gives him this title called The Word. That Jesus is the word of God. And we did some historical things to help us understand that. Like from Genesis chapter 1. And, and understanding the Greek idea that the word is the thing behind all the things. The, the person that is behind everything that we see. But what we're going to see in John 1, 6 through 8 now is almost it, it feels like an interruption into the text. Because the chapter 1, verse 4 and 5 ended with us hearing about the word being the light. And then in verse 9, which we'll get into next week, it goes from the light. In fact, it would read like this. Verse 5 says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then verse 9 says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So it ends in verse 5 talking about the light, verse 9 talking about the light. But in the middle of those two verses is verses 6 through 8, where it's talking about John the Baptist. Or he is going to call him John the witness. So got to get this in your mind. There's two Johns, all right? There's John the apostle, first cousin of Jesus. His mother and Jesus's mother is believed to be sisters. And then there's John, what is, we have come to know him as John the Baptist. In fact, that's what the other gospels call him. But John the apostle does not call him that. In fact, he calls him John 
The Witness, which I think is actually a better title because it really supersedes what he was doing. Yes, he was baptizing, and no, the Baptists do not come from a line of succession out of John the Baptist, by the way. They broke off from the Catholic Church, just like Lutherans and Methodists and a lot of other people did back in the Protestant Reformation, but they got their name from the idea that John was baptizing people. So Baptists believe that you aren't baptized, which is what we believe, until you have trusted Jesus. It's a profession of faith. So you got to hold these two in your mind. You got John the Apostle, and then I'm going to call him for our purposes, John the Witness. But John the Witness is John the Baptist. You with me? All right. So you got John the Apostle, John the Witness. Now these three verses, six, seven, and eight, are about John the Witness, And so the first 30-something verses of John chapter 1 go like this. The Word, the Witness. The Word, the Witness. So the Word is Jesus, John the Witness. The Word, John the Witness. And so there's going to kind of be this dance, this play, because John the Apostle wants us to understand some significant things, not only about who Jesus is, but who John the witness was and how he had a biblical historical significance to the story, which I will show you. So these three verses, it feels like it's an interruption, a flow of thought, if you will. It's like, we want to know about Jesus. What's up with John here? But here's why I think this has such a practical application for us, which we'll get to at the end of the message. You know, Jesus came as our savior, as our Lord, and yes, he's our example, but, but you and I understand the fact that Jesus was perfect. He was God in the flesh. So we will never be like Jesus in the sense that we can actually attain to what he attained here on earth. However, John the witness, I think, really sets out an example for all of us that we can attain through the power of the Holy Spirit. Through the power of Jesus, we can actually live a life like John the witness. So in today's message, we're going to kind of do this on two levels, all right? We're going to look at this from the historical significance, the biblical significance of who is John the witness and what was he doing and why did John the apostle right at the beginning of his gospel let us know about John the witness. So that's the first level. And then the second level we're going to look at, okay, what does that mean for us? What is the practical application about who John was, what John did, and what does that mean for me? How can I live in a similar way to how John lived? All right? So let's go. First uh, John 1, not First John, same apostle, but John 1, 6 through 8. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, John the witness. He came as a witness, this is why I'm calling him this, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Verse eight, sounds weird in English, but it, man, it is great theology. He was not the light. He was not the light. I'm gonna read that again. I want you to say the word not with me. He was not the light, especially if you're watching Revolution Online, Revolution Jasper. Let's try that again. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Now, when I was first laying this out, 
and thinking about this sermon, I so wanted to get into the rest of the gospel because you're going to see in a few weeks, verses 19 through 24, John actually speaks up about what he's not. And man, I so wanted to get into that today, but I realized, man, I got years to do this, all right? So I don't have to get it all into one sermon. But the reason why I'm so excited about it is because it's so healthy for us to know who we are and who we're not. See, John knew who he was and John knew who he was not. And so we'll get into that into a few weeks. And so that's kind of a tease or a precursor, if you will. You got to be here in a few weeks if you want us to have a conversation about how healthy it is for you to know who you are and who you're not. But what we need to know here, even though it sounds weird at the beginning of the gospel for John to say about John the witness, he was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The reason why that is so important is because John, the apostle, is letting us know that John, the witness, was fulfilling his biblical role, was fulfilling his biblical mission. He was not to be Jesus. That is not what God asked him to do, but he was to be a witness to Jesus. That is what God sent him to do. Now, John 1, verse 6 there, it says there was a man sent from God. Now, the word sent is literally the Greek word apostled. Apostled. We just took that and made it into a noun in English, and now we have the apostles. Now, there's a difference between the 12 apostles that Jesus had and and us as apostles, but at the end of the day, the The purpose or the meaning of the word is the same, and it's not a noun, it's a verb. So to be apostled is to be sent. Now, when Jesus called his 12 apostles, he said, and we'll get into this at the end of chapter one, because that's when he actually calls them. He commands them and invites them. He says, hey, come follow me. But then when they were following him, Jesus would empower them with his Holy Spirit, and then he would send them. He would send them, which is what the Great Commission is all about. He said, go and make disciples. So those were actual people who rubbed shoulders with Jesus, who saw Jesus face to face, which is why we call those theologically big A apostles. They are the ones who actually saw Jesus face to face, and a lot of them actually wrote scripture. So they're different than us in the sense that they saw Jesus face to face and they wrote scripture. So if you say, man, how did certain books get into the Bible? That that was the criteria in the New Testament. Did you see Jesus face to face? And did you, were you, were you mentored by him, discipled by him? And you actually wrote these things down to give authenticity to what you said. So the criteria in the New Testament was that. That's how you knew they were apostles because they had actually been apostled or they were discipled and sent out by Jesus. So we are not the same as them in that regard. And what I mean by that is if you claim to be someone who's seen Jesus face to face and start writing scripture, you're crazy. Which I said this last week, there is people that have done that, right? Prophets that have come up later on like Muhammad, Muslims, uh, Jehovah's Witness, Mormons, a lot of people that have come later on after Jesus, but we know from Hebrews chapter one, no, Jesus is the final word. So we are not an apostle in that sense, 
But here's what we need to know and what John can teach us from a practical sense. We can be apostled, though. We can be sent. And we could live as those who are sent. So the first thing that we need to understand about John the witness is he's a man on a mission. He was sent from God. And what was he sent from God to do? Well, he tells us he was sent from God to be a witness. Now, what's very interesting, this word here, witness, is another English word that you also know. It is literally the Greek word martyr. Now, before it came to mean what we think being a martyr means, because today when we hear the word martyr, we hear someone who has died for their faith. And yes, that is true. But in the Greek sense, it simply meant a a testimony of someone like in a courtroom. So to call a witness. So when you call a witness, it's just someone who's giving a testimony about something that's happened. But John the Baptist, John the witness, literally said a testimony to the point where it cost him his life. Later on, he was beheaded because he wouldn't quit witnessing about Jesus. And almost all the apostles were killed because they couldn't quit witnessing about Jesus. So they literally changed the definition of the word just to a courtroom witness to someone who dies for their faith. That's how sent they lived. And John significantly here is helping us understand, hey, listen, there's the word that was sent. He was from God. He was God. He dwelt among us. And then there was the witness. And both of those are important. The word and the witness. So last week we talked about the word. This week we're talking about the witness. So John the witness had a purpose for which he was sent, and that was to speak up about the light. He was not the light, but his job was to speak up about the light. Now, John's going to say this about himself later on. Again, this is the part that I wanted to get into, but we'll get into that in a few weeks. John's actually going to quote Isaiah chapter 40, when some Pharisees that were, that were sent to ask John, hey, who are you? John is going to tell them who he is and who he's not. But the significance of what he said is he quotes in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, who he is. Now, I want you to turn there. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 40. If not, don't worry about it. I've got it here on the screen. Because I want you to understand it now so that when we get to it in a few weeks, you will understand why John quoted this verse. And so this is kind of the first level to understand historically and biblically who John the witness is and why John the apostle put him in so early. This is significance. One, because I want you to understand how amazing your Bible is. Always try to show you the connections like we did last week. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel and how that went back to Genesis 4.10. I want to show you how the two fit together. Well, here's another example. In John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, we hear about John the witness. And here's John who's going to quote Isaiah 40, verse 3 later on, how he understands himself. And here's what Isaiah actually said, what happened. So listen to this. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. It says, a voice cries... In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low. 
The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. So in the wilderness, this is important because the Bible tells us that John the witness came out of the wilderness. And I'll point to that more in just a second. So he's crying out. And this is the verse that John quotes about himself to make straight in the desert, a highway. Now you don't normally see highways in deserts, right? Unless it's Vegas and then you do. But, but what he's getting at here, see, the wilderness, biblically speaking, significant is the wilderness was always the staging area for something more. It was always the in-between ground before God was going to do something great. And you see this when the nation of Israel left Egypt. When they were free, they, they went into the wilderness and it was supposed to be for 40 days. But they got lost in the wilderness and started complaining to God saying, we want to go back. They started having what I call now cucumber dreams. Literally, they were dreaming about the cucumbers that they had in Egypt. And they were saying this, slavery was better because we had better food than this manna that you keep giving us here. And so 40 days turned into 40 years before they go into the promised land. And this is where I think this is significant because so many of us get stuck in the wilderness journey. Before God gets us to the mission, before God gets us to the promised land, we go through this wilderness time and so many of us get stuck and we want to go back. But the Bible says, no, 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 no. I got more for you. This is just a staging area. So John the Baptist significance here is that he's in the wilderness saying, hey, this is a staging area. Something more is coming. And what is that something more that's coming? The word. Now I'll show you this in Isaiah. Let's keep reading. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says cry. And I said, what shall I cry? Here's the answer. All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. Verse seven and eight. Some of the first verses I memorized as a Christian. The, the grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. Verse eight, the grass withers, withers the flower fades, but the, what's that next word there? Word. Come on, somebody. But the what? But the word of our God will stand forever. So here you have in Isaiah chapter 30, the witness and the word. Do you see that? You have the witness coming out of the wilderness, preparing the way for the great day of the Lord. And what is the great day of the Lord? The word's going to show up. The word of our God is going to stand forever. Now, here's why this is significant into who John the witness was. John the witness wasn't the word. He wasn't the light. That's what verse eight says. He wasn't the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Here's why this is so huge. And one of the practical implications for us is this. Listen, you need to know who you are and who you're not. You are not the word, my friend. You're the witness to the word. And see, this is why our world is so crooked and so wicked because they got stuck in the wilderness thinking they were the word instead of the witness. What do I mean by that? They thought that their mission was myself. See, this is how every human being thinks. Martin Luther called it like this. Every human being is curved in on themselves. 
You know what sin does? Sin takes you off of looking to Jesus and looking to yourself. So the great problem with the world today is people are not emotionally healthy like John the Witness. The problem with the world today is everyone thinks I'm the light. The mission is myself. So I'm trying to do everything that I can to get myself ahead. I'm trying to climb the ladder because the mission is myself, right? It's all about how I feel. It's all about what I want. I, I want the world to bend to me. I'm going to adjust the truth to myself. I did a message years and years ago. It's not on our website right now. It'll be there in the, in the future, hopefully, talking about the wise and the fool. See, a wise person, a wise person adjusts themselves to the truth. A foolish person adjusts the truth to themselves. That's the culture we live in right now. You know that, right? The, the culture we live in is no, I, me, I'm the center. I'm the light. Everything must adjust to me. And yet John stands as a witness to saying no. Why? Because Isaiah 40 says everything but the word fades. Anything that you want to build your life on fades. Now, if you have not had the privilege of getting older yet, and we call that wisdom, you don't understand yet that everything fades. Man, if you're in your teens, you're in your 20s, you're in your 30s, ain't nothing fading on you. Everything's up to the right, baby. You ain't over the hill yet. When we say over the hill is 40, it's not. It's actually 25 because after 25, your body starts dying. It just takes till 40 to you start noticing. And so if you're, you're in that season of your life, man, you're like, ain't nothing fading. Look at me. I'm good. I can work out. I can still crossfit. I can still crop. I can still run. I can still make money. And then a virus comes along. It's like, how's that working for you? But see, if you're over 40, if you're in your 50s, you're in your 60s, you're like, bro, it all fades. And you can Botox yourself to death, but it's still going to sag. You're still going to fade. And I, and I joke about it, and I don't mean it to be funny or disrespectful in any way, but it's just true, and it's a visual image everybody can understand. This is why there are no gang fights in nursing homes. I mean, think about it. And again, I'm not being disrespectful to older people. What I'm saying is older people, finally, they have a lot of wisdom that we don't have in realizing, listen, the world doesn't revolve around me anymore. But there's a lot of us that are still living under this mirage that we're the light. And John, the witness, is saying, no, 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 no. You're not the light. You're the witness. You're not the word. Everything is going to fade. Everything is going to decay. Everything. Fresh flowers, grass, you know, it's Valentine's. It's all going to fade. It's all going to fade. And you're like, wow, what an incredibly uplifting sermon. <laughs> it is uplifting if you start to learn that the word never fades, never fails. It stands forever. And see, this is who John said he was. This is the verse he's going to quote in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. I'm one crying out in the wilderness. Build your life on the word. Build your life on the word. So the historical significance of who John the witness is, 
John the apostle is telling us right off the get-go. You need to understand John the witness is a fulfillment of Isaiah 40 verse 3. That's why I'm trying to show you the amazingness of your Bible. What John did, Isaiah prophesied. There will be one in the wilderness who's crying out, who's making straight, who's leveling things off. Because see, it doesn't matter how wealthy you are, how wise you are, how, how influential you are. It's all level before God. That's what John's saying. That's what John the witness is saying. So historically significant here of Isaiah chapter 40, and we'll get into this again in a, in a few weeks, is you need to understand the witness was all about the word. He was not about himself. He was a man on a mission sent to witness about the word. The mission was not the man. You get what I mean when I say that? He was a man on a mission. He didn't make his mission about himself as a man. He made his mission about another man, about another one who would last beyond him, the word. Now, a second Old Testament passage I want to show you. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Malachi chapter four. If you don't know where that is, it's the last chapter in the Old Testament. And this is the part that just blew me away. The last chapter in the Old Testament. If you don't know historically, the Old Testament closes and over 400 years go by before John the witness shows up. So in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, for you is one page, but in history it's 400 years. And so the Old Testament closes with the prophecy about what John the apostle is going to say right out the gate in John chapter one about John the witness, showing you the historical significance about who John was and what John was doing. Now there's six verses I'm gonna read here. So you gotta hang with me. And the last two verses will be significant. I mean, they're all significant. It's the Bible, by the way. But it'll, it'll connect even more to John, the witness, and you. So let's go Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. For behold, the day is coming. So this is looking forward. Burning like an oven. When all the arrogant and all evildoers will, stubble, will be stubble. I, I keep saying will stumble. <laughs> but will be stubble. What is Stubble. Just look at a young teenage boy's face. That's what it is, right? Stubble will be nothing. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Now, let's take that in context with Isaiah. Everything, everything fades. So there's going to come a day, Malachi is saying, when all that will be shown for what it is. Everything that everyone built up will be burned to the ground. But then look at verse two. But, it's the first part of the best two words in the Bible, right? But for you who fear my name, but you who fear my name, you could say it like this, but for you who fear the word, because what is his name? Is the word, but you fear my name. Now, God's uh, that was kind of a trick question. I get it because you're like, Yahweh, I don't know what I'm supposed to say here, right? <laughs> Jesus, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet 
on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Now, real quick, what is he getting at here? He's comparing two groups of people. He's speaking of two groups of people. There's groups of people who think they are the word. There's groups of people who think they are the light. There's groups of people who think they are the mission. There's groups of people who think they are the center. And what's going to happen with them? Everything they build is going to be burned up. Why? Because it withers, it fades. But there's another group of people who fear God, who fear the name of the Lord, who understand they're not the light. They're not the word. They're not the center. They're not the mission. That group of people, he now describes three things. And oh, I wish I had time. Sometime I'll come back and preach through the book of Malachi. It's just so amazing. But he says, first, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. So those who put the word at the center have a healing inside of them that the others don't have. Why? Because nothing in your life heals you more when you understand you're not the center. We'll get into this in a few weeks. The most emotionally unhealthy people are those who put themselves at the center. But see, when you have the word at the center, you have a healing inside of you. Second thing he says, they will leap like calves from the stall. Now, I thought about acting this out for you. But... I wasn't sure if I got down on all fours, I could be able to get back up because I'm 42. I'm fading, right? But have you ever seen that picture? I think you can kind of think about it. Here's a calf coming out of a stall, just, I mean, just kicking and frolicking and joyful. And when you think about that, you're like, okay, I, I kind of get a, a, a visual. We didn't have calves or cows growing up, but we did have horses. There were so many times where we would let our horse out of the stall. You had to, you had to be very careful where you stood when you opened that, 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 the door to the pen because if, if, they, if you were in the way, they would just knock you over. And I had that happen before you just kind of get pinned into the side of the stall. So you kind of have to open it and get out of the way because, man, they're like a rocket coming out. And depending upon how you know, broke they were, but, but I'll never forget my horse whose name was Sonny. He was green broke, which meant he was halfway broke and then halfway crazy. I mean, he would come out just going crazy, man. It's the same horse that my father knocked out because he bucked him off. And that's true. My dad knocked a horse unconscious by hitting him in the nose, which is why I never disobeyed my father. <laughs> and then my dad sold him the next day. But you get this picture of like, what is he describing? He's describing those who build their life on the word have a joy that the others don't have. They have a joy that the others don't have. Third thing he says is they will tread down wickedness. So those who build their life on the word have a power that the others don't have. So have a healthiness, have a joy, and have a power that the others don't have. I look at verse four and five. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Verse five, here's where it gets significant to John the witness. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Now, this is the verse five and verse six, and I'll get to verse six in just a second. The last two verses of your Old Testament closes with the prophecy about John the witness. 
and John 1, 6 through 8. So do you understand the historical significance now? But here's where it goes even deeper. And this is the part, and I'll show you this on the map in a few weeks. But God, this is just amazing how God works. Real quick, if you look at a map of Israel, you got the Sea of Galilee at the top, you got the Dead Sea at the bottom, and you got a river flowing down to it called the Jordan River. So out of Sea of Galilee, Jordan River flows into the Dead Sea. Right at the mouth of that, right at the beginning of that, he mentions here Elijah. Now, if you don't know Elijah, Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament. Well, in 2 Kings chapter 2, just write that down as a reference, and you can go read it later so that you see that I'm not lying to you. But right at the northern part of the Dead Sea, right where the Jordan River flows into it, Elijah was taken up on a chariot. He didn't die. He crossed the river in an area called Bethany on the other side of the Jordan. He goes up to heaven. And now Malachi verse, uh, chapter 4 verse 5 says, I will send Elijah back to you. Now here's what's crazy. You want to know where John the witness or John the Baptist started his ministry? The exact same place that Elijah went up. The exact same place. I'm not making this up. That's significance. Why? Because where Elijah went up, the witness comes out. And that's right where John was baptizing. And that is where he baptized Jesus. I've seen it. I stood in the water. It's freezing cold. I've baptized people right there. But even then, I didn't understand the historical significance of what was taking place. Because you have this monumental tectonic shift that was taking place between the Old Testament and the New Testament, which was, now I'm not going to send you prophets that have the word. I'm going to send you the word. So Malachi chapter 4 verse 5 prophesies that. And then John shows up in the exact same place that Elijah was doing his ministry as a witness in the wilderness. So verse 5, God says, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet. And God did it. He sent John. You know what that means? You can take God's word to the bank. You can take it to the bank. Because John shows up and he witnesses. Now, here's the part that's amazing. He was a prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. We'll get into this next week. Again, he goes, the word, the witness, the word, the witness, the word, the witness. Jesus, John, Jesus, John, Jesus, John. But what was John the witness's mission? What was his mission? Look at verse six. And he, this is John. He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. Now, that is the last verse of your Old Testament. This is why it really bugs me when people read the one part there, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. It bugs me when people talk about the God of the Old Testament as just this vengeful God. Please understand, do not let anybody convince you that the God of the Old Testament is any different than the God of the New Testament. And don't let anybody convince you that the Old Testament's all judgment, the New Testament's all grace. Oh no, it's grace and truth. You're gonna see that, it's grace and judgment and you see it right here. But what is the heart of God? Why did God send John? To turn the hearts, to turn the hearts. So John was a man on a mission sent apostled from God to bear witness about the word 
And what is he doing when he does that? He is speaking to men and women saying, listen, this is what you were made for. You were made for this same mission. Here's what's amazing. This word here, turn the hearts, literally means to restore. Let me read you the definition. To restore, to bring back into original existence, use, function, or position. Why did God send John? To restore people's hearts to their original functions. And what was their original functions? To not make much of themselves, but to make much of the word. He was sent to restore the hearts. Now don't miss this. Of fathers to their children. Restore the hearts of fathers to their children. Because what does a wicked father's heart do? A wicked father's heart doesn't see himself as there to bless his children, as there to disciple his children, as there for him to serve his children, serve his family. A wicked father's heart says, no, my kids, my wife, my money, everything is here to serve me. It turns in on itself. And this is why most men, not most men, a lot of men, and follow me here, in their midlife, at the moment they start fading, they have what we call now, it happens so much we have a term for it, a midlife crisis. Why is it when men's abilities start fading, they try to double down on the very thing that is robbing them? They trade in their wife for a younger one. They trade in their cars for a newer one. They trade in their houses for a bigger one, for a second one. They try to go make more money. Why? Because they think that's the mission. But what happens in that moment? I have never, ever seen a man take the time to actually think about when that happened. Man, did destroying your family actually produce the joy that you wanted? Actually produce the health that you wanted? No, if, if we were a reflective culture, we would look at those examples and think, man, any man who makes himself the mission is the most miserable. So men, hear me. If you're in this midlife like I am, when you face that crisis, don't double down on yourself as the mission. Allow the words of John the witness to restore your heart to its original mission was to make much of someone else. See, the heart of God is he's trying to turn the hearts of others back to their mission. Fathers to their children. Children to their fathers. That's how your Old Testament closes. And then John the witness shows up saying, that's what I came to do. That's why he was baptizing, because baptism is repentance. So this is what we can learn from John the witness on the practical level. On the practical level is understand that making much of yourself is not the mission. Because if you make much of yourself, you're going to fade. You're going to wither 
and eventually you'll be burned up. But if you will allow John the witness through the witness of the word to turn your heart, God will come with healing in his wings, give you a new sense of joy and purpose and power and say to you, this is why I made you. I made you to make much of the mission. I made you to make much of the word. I made you to empty yourself like John the witness. Man, what would happen? And this isn't unique just to men. But what would happen if men and women realized? I mean, has 2020 taught you nothing? You can lose all of that in an instant. See, healthy men and women, when they're on their deathbed, don't say, hey, can you bring in a flat screen, a really huge one? They say, where are my kids? And isn't that what was the most devastating about 2020, that people were dying alone? We couldn't even attend funerals. We couldn't even be at bedsides. We had to be in parking lots. Has that not shown you anything about what the mission really is? The mission isn't to make much of yourself. The mission is for God to restore your heart back to your mission, which was to make much of him and love others. And here's what's crazy. If you'll do that, you'll actually have way more joy than you could have ever had by making yourself the mission. See, making money is not the mission. Now, is money evil? No. You can make money to fund the mission. You can make money to be a part of the mission, but making money in and of itself is never the mission. So guess what? More money will never do it for you. Don't believe me? Ask somebody who has 10 times more than you do. They'll tell you. See, John the witness understood something about who he was and who he wasn't. Now, John 1, 6 through 8, I don't have it here on the screen, but if I were to put it back and we were to insert ourselves in this text from a practical application, I'll, I'll just use myself. There was a man sent from God whose name was Jason. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. See, if I can insert myself into that and live my life on mission, I'll have more joy and purpose than anything this world can give me. Now, Let's read it another way. There was a woman sent from God. I'll use my wife's name, whose name was Lindsay. She came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. She was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Let me ask you a question. If I read your Instagram what would I think about the truth of that statement? 
He was not the light. She was not the light. This is why, and just being honest, I'm going to make a lot of people mad. I can't stand people's Instagrams who all of their pictures are pictures of themselves. What have we done to our children where we have created a system of approvals that if I don't get likes, then I'm not liked? You're not the light. And if you want happiness and joy, the faster you can learn that, the healthier you will be. Here's my final point. Our mission as a church is to give your life mission. Our mission is to give your life mission. The mission of Revolution Church is not to make much of Jason. It's to make much of Jesus. The mission of Revolution Church is to give mission to your life, to give purpose and meaning and joy and healthiness to your life. But you will never have those things if you don't understand that you're not the word, you're the witness to the word. Let's pray. Father, I feel like this is a rather holy moment where you are speaking to us. And I know we got to go. We got another gathering. We got things coming, but God, I don't want to miss this moment because I believe right now through John, the witness, you are shining a light into some dark places into people's hearts who have lived so selfless, selfishly, who don't serve, who don't give, who don't love because they have mistaken themselves as the mission. They're not the mission. L living life sent from you to bear witness about the light is the mission. We're not the word. We're not the center. Our hearts were not made for that kind of glory, which is why it ruins us. We cannot handle that kind of worship and power. But yet there are so many people who try and try and try. So God, right now, I pray if there is anybody who your light has shined in their hearts today and they understand that they're the word, that you're the word and, and they're not. I pray right now, God, you would save them. Nobody looking around or talking here as we close. If you've never felt that sense in your life that God made you for more, he made you and he sent you If you want to trust Jesus right now, you can be saved. If you want, you can pray with me. You don't have to do this out loud. If you want to trust Jesus, you can say, Father, I confess I'm a sinner. I need you to save me. I am sorry for living as though I was the center. You're the center. But thank you for sending Jesus to restore my heart. I ask you to forgive me and to save me. 
Thank you for loving me. Now, if you just prayed to trust Jesus right there, you can let us know if you're in one of our locations. You can just simply lift up your hand so we can see that. Thank you, thank you. We got men and women gonna walk around, put a gift in your hand. If you're watching online, you can, in just a moment, give us your information, text us your information. You'll have an opportunity to give us on a digital connection card, let us know who you are. But then those of us who have trusted Jesus, which I suspect is a larger group, you don't need to be saved again. I see this every week. But you do need to realize again that you are sent. See, the same God who saves us is the same God who sends us. And he doesn't send us to make much of ourselves. He sends us to make much of his son. And so what you need to do today is simply repent and allow the Lord to restore your heart to its original purpose. Which is to be a witness about the light so that all may know and believe in Jesus. And if you do that, you have healing and joy and power and purpose. So today is just simply a a saying of saying, Father, help me to live sent. Help me to live as one on mission. That doesn't mean you have to quit your job. It just means that when you go to your job, go as a missionary, as one sent to witness to the word. And give your life away. Give your life away to discipling your kids. If you're a father, turn your heart back to your kids. Turn your heart back to your spouse. If you're a mother, turn your heart back to your kids. Turn your heart back to your mission. I don't care what job you have or don't have. If you're a teenager, understand that your mission should be discipled into you by your father and mother. And it is not to make much of yourself, but it is to make much of Jesus. Father, we pray that you would set on fire everything in our life that doesn't honor you. Burn it up now so that we're under no illusions that it will last. Take it away now so that we can live our life on purpose, on mission, as one sent from you to bear witness about the light. We ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen.